it's, it's so good to, to be here with you all. Uh, first, let me just introduce our speakers. Uh, Pastor Phil, you know him, but this gentleman here to my left in the middle, uh, we are privileged to have uh, with us. This is Raleigh Demos. He's the Director of Internal Audit at the General Council at the Mothership. Money, 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 money. And so, and also the Director of Empower and Stewardship, which I know that Raleigh will take a few moments to talk to us about. It's a sort of a newer initiative at, uh, down at Mecca. And um, when Raleigh comes to the room, it's usually not good when you're seeing Raleigh because he's auditing. Uh, so you have the privilege of having a positive interaction with Raleigh. So uh, we're excited to talk to you uh, this morning about uh, finances and, uh, uh, and maximizing the, uh, your church's stewardship. Um, first, the overarching statement for finances, which you'll see in your book. We want to identify the best practices that safeguard your resources and produce accurate and timely financial information. Not nearly as inspirational as the prior ones, but equally as important. So I'll give you a moment to write those in. And, and you know, Andrew, the thing about it is most churches, if you, if you ask most people, why does our church struggle? What's our, most people will say, if we had more money or people, and uh, so the finances are incredibly important in the work of the kingdom of God. And, and as you're filling those in, if I can just say from an overarching perspective, it's easy in these types of settings when you hear, you, you see guys on stage who, again, it, it seems like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. And if we only had that or could only do this, then we'd be there too, but we don't. And I think it's important to have an open heart and be willing and ready to contextualize the things that we're going to talk about for your own situation. Uh, and then secondly, the most valuable thing for this event is not hopefully just what we're saying to you, but it's the fact that we're all here together in a large network of people, and that all of the resources, all this teaching has come from within this room. And so there are hundreds of people here who have a heart to help, and so if these things are sparking questions in your mind, connect with these people, because this is the value here, is the network. Okay, so best practices. In finance. Uh, Raleigh, would you mind talking to us about first about ministerial payroll and how that plays into the church's stewardship? Right. So I have five best practices that we're going to talk about, right? But this is the first one that will, that there's external eyes looking at you, right? The IRS. And compensation, including ministerial compensation, is a very difficult concept to understand. It, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> and so my first point is we need to understand all of the elements when we talk about what, what ministerial compensation is. Things like, are we a W-2 or a 1099? You've got to need someone on your team who understands this. Um, we want everyone to be uh, 1099s because it's less work on the bookkeeper. We don't have to withhold taxes from the non-ministerial employees. Um, but that's not always the case. Most of our staff members in our churches are W-2s. Should be. Should be. <laughs> Should be, yes. 
Now, also going along those lines, salary versus hourly. Again, we want everyone to be salaried because it's easier to manage. Uh, we don't have to track their time. They don't have to clock in. But again, for many of our positions, they should be hourly. Now, let me just pause there real quick and say, what, what's the difference, Raleigh? The difference is if they're hourly, they have to track their time and any, any hours over 40, you pay time and a half, right? That's the Fair Labor Standards Act. And so we want to just call everyone salaried. Now, in the last few years, they changed the rules, and now you can't call anyone salaried unless they make how much? Does anyone know the number? $47,500. You cannot be salaried unless you make that minimum amount. And so many of our churches can't, uh, can't afford that. And I've, in speaking with many of our churches, I hear from sometimes, well, can't we be exempt from this because of this? Or can't we skirt around the rules because of this thing here? Can't we cheat the government? Well, and, but, and also, can't we cheat our employees? Ooh. Oh, good one. So, if I, so I, I, I say that to say, if, we, if we're faithful to do what's right, not just with, with what the letter of the law allows us to do, but meeting the spirit of the law too, I think that God honors that. But Andrew, if our secretary wants to donate five hours a week, can't we do no. that? And, you, and we shouldn't, again, we, and we shouldn't ask that of our people. If we honor right. our people and we love them, then we should pay them for their time. Absolutely. Exactly. Now, there is a caveat for pastors. We can abuse our pastors all day long, and the government allows it. You don't have to pay your pastor 47.5 to call them salaried. The government does not care. It's the one time when they don't care about you. But I don't recommend it. It's not the don't one abuse. time, but... <laughs> don't abuse your pastors. Uh, other things like housing allowance and 941s, you just need to do it. You need to do it the right way or the IRS can get either your pastor in trouble or your church in trouble. All right, so uh, the second area I want to do real quick in compensation is I want you to put it in writing. I want us to be intentional about our compensation. We know that our pastors are underpaid and, and we don't get a lot of benefits. The average salary for the AG pastor is $35,000. Um, we did a study. 72% of our pastors don't have a retirement uh, component to their package, and 68% do not have health insurance. So a healthy church has healthy financial practices and healthy and, and generous compensation. All right. And I think, again, when you're hearing Raleigh say that um, we need to document this, this isn't, there's, there are certain um, I-dotting and T-crossing that every church needs to be responsible for. And, and oftentimes, from a pastoral perspective, we say, I don't get involved with that, but this person takes care of it and they know what to do. Let me just tell you that that can be coming from a place of unhealth when you're not involved and you don't have any idea really what's going on in the systems of your church, the finances. Uh, again, we, we want to safeguard and make sure that you're not, you're not, uh, don't have so much control that you can then act fraudulently. But at the same time, if you totally divorce yourself from any knowledge of how anything should be done, uh, that's from a place of unhealth. And you do need, there are certain core things that you need to understand. And documenting your compensation is one of those. So all of that needs to be in your church's board meeting minutes. 
And the minutes of that meeting need to be kept in your church's file cabinet or record or uh, on the computer and all of those kinds of things. So you have to document it. And uh, I will tell you this. If someday the Lord ever puts you into the ministry of the district superintendent, you will learn one thing. Write everything down. Everything that you said, everything that you did, all of that because somewhere along the line, some beloved attorney is going to be coming after you and will want to know, what, where, where did you write it down? Oh, no, we made the decision. You were there, Matt, come on, you remember that, Todd, don't you, don't you, don't you remember that? Uh, you know, write it down, put it, keep it with the church's official records. And how many of us have ever been in a situation where we've been on the receiving end of that, where it's like, well, they told me that it was going to be this, but now I'm looking at my pay stub and it's only this. And that's what documentation does is it provides clarity and something we can go back to and, 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 and not from a place of defensiveness or accusation, but just clarifying what did we say because we put it here in writing. That's good godly leadership. So if I could add on to this, as we're talking about documentation, policies and procedures is the second thing that we want to talk about documenting. I have a list of at least 10, I have the 10 policies I want all of our churches to have. Here they go. Conflict of interest, whistleblower, document retention, <laughs> intellectual property, social media, expense reimbursements, benevolence, gift acceptance, designated funds, and compensation. Raise your hand if you have all of those documented. <laughs> Hey, hey, give him the Starbucks card. There was one. We document what our expectations are so that everyone knows what the expectation is, so everyone can be on the same page. It helps with uh, creating the boundaries, the guardrails. It helps keep everyone on track. It helps during transitions, and it helps reduce waste and abuse and, and even fraud. And this may not surprise you, but I am a policy guy. And, and here's why, from a leadership perspective, why I like policies. Because what it does is it allows us as leadership with sober minds to say what's best for our church and put it into practice. So that when the time comes, when that emotional situation arises, when that benevolent need that you, it pulls at your heartstrings and you say, I want to get involved and meet this need, it allows you to go back to something that you crafted as a team with sober minds and said, how are we going to handle this? And then it protects you as a leader because there are times when you have to say no to something that's going to be a difficult no. But when you have a, the foundation of a policy, you can say, this is what we've decided as a team, so this is how we're going to address that. So it protects you. It's not just that it, it, um, it provides unnecessary restriction to you. It protects you for those future situations that are going to be difficult. All right, so number one, master ministerial payroll. Number two, document your expectations. Number three, measure what you expect. And this has several different elements, like financial reports. We know the statement of financial activities, the statement of uh, position. That's our income statement, our balance sheet. Uh, we need to manage. Uh, we need to have good and timely and accurate information so that we can make wise and timely decisions, right? 
But most of the time, but many times I walk into a church and they don't have financial reports. I walked into one and they, they asked me to come in and audit their books. They ran off the pastor and they ran off the church treasurer. And I said, how come? They said, we're missing $30,000. I said, all right. I said, let me see your financial reports. They said, we don't have financial reports. I, they, I said, what do you get? We said, they said, we get the Sunday offering and a list of the bills that have to be paid this week. Um, but we're, that's all we get, but we're pretty sure one of those two sold $30,000. So, uh, Andrew, I had so much fun. I recreated their financial activity for two and a half years. That's not fun. That's not fun. <laughs> uh, and I could show them where that 30000 insurance proceeds came in the church, and I could show them how they spent it all on operating expenses. And the remaining board member said, oh, I guess we shouldn't have run them off. So... Now, now the, uh, on the other hand, too many financial reports uh, can cause your board members' eyes to glaze over and they'll lose interest. So, so uh, you got to find the balance there. Just one or two pages is a good for the entire group, but I want a couple people in church leadership who cares about numbers uh, and that can dig into them and actually help leaders know where you're heading, right? So there's a balance there. Your budget is another way to measure what you expect. You set a budget, and then you monitor it during the year. The budget doesn't constrain you. It just helps inform where you're headed during the year. Wait, uh, wait, Raleigh. Did I say something wrong? You're, telling, you're telling me that we should be budgeting? <laughs> are you, or is that what you're telling me? If you're not budgeting, if I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a credential holder, but let me just be pastoral here. If you're not budgeting... You're lacking stewardship. You right. need to be budgeting. And it's, and it, and it's you, you as leaders, and whether you're a pastor, or you're a board member, you're just a leader in the church, your church needs a budget. Hard stop, that's a full sentence. You need a budget. You, okay. can, you can do a year's budget in one day. You take all of last year's expenditures every month. So... In November, we, we wrote checks to this, 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 and this was our, here's where our offerings were for November. All of a sudden, you got next year's November budget. You say, well, that's pretty simplistic. It's a great place to start. It's start. It's just a simple little tool that says, what did we do last year? We're probably going to do that. Our expenditures may go up 7.8% with inflation, but... Uh, you know, we're, that's a good start. It's a simple way to do it. And in one day, you can track all of last year's expenses and last year's giving when they came in. And that's a great start to just at least look at the trends. Are we trending better than last year or trending worse than last year? If we're trending worse, maybe we need to cut some expenditures. And that's what Raleigh's talking about is that the point of measuring what we're expecting and the point of budgeting is so that it can measure our performance and guide our decision making. How do we know what to do if we don't have a baseline that we're looking back to to see how we're performing? And there's three people I want involved in the budget process. Your uh, vision caster, your ministry leaders, and your bookkeeping accountant treasurer, all right? If you, <laughs> I'm the accountant talking, if I let my vision caster create the budget, they're going to spend all the money. <laughs> but if you let me create the budget... We ain't spending no money. 
50% is going to savings. So, so you need all of us together. The accountants can do the first rough draft. Your ministry leaders can get in and say, this is kind of where I want to go to this year. Your vision caster said, is all of that meeting where we're going together? And then you, you uh, might have to put, put a couple drafts together, but you can make a budget work that way. The vision caster has already rented real camels for this year's Christmas program. <laughs> But just one last note on, on budgeting and, and, and measuring is that the, it has to be tied back to your vision and mission. Allow those things to manifest themselves into your budget. So it, the, the question of budget needs to start with, what are we doing? What's our vision for the next year? It has to be tied together with your calendar so that you, we know, okay, where, how are we going to allocate our resources because what's What's, uh, how's our vision going to manifest itself in the next year? And by the way, I'll, I'll just say real quickly, your income usually trails your expenses by two to three years. So if you, if you say, well, man, inflation is costing us 7.8% more, your giving will take a couple of years to catch up to that 7.8% because if your people get... They won't get a, a raise till next year, and then it won't be 7.8%. And so it, just, just know that. Yeah, okay. And did you see how I worked in budget for reserves? I did, and yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I affirm that. Thank you. All right. Uh, master ministerial payroll. Document your expectations. Measure what you expect. And number four, protect your people and property. And the two sub-points on this are background checks and insurance right? This is the way we can protect our people and our property. Um, insurance, let's start there because I'm not the expert. What my suggestion is, is to go out and get insurance, property insurance and liability insurance. Property protects your things, your buildings, your, your items. Liability insurance protects your people and the people who come onto your property. And both of those are so necessary. We often receive calls from churches who uh, just haven't received, don't have insurance. And so they're looking for help after a major storm or a fire or some kind of destruction that it's just so important to have insurance to protect not only your building, but your people as well. And you probably have, you're, if you're using an insurance agent, they, you probably have an annual meeting where they're going to kind of talk you through all your policy and they're going to try to upsell you on whatever other additional insurances. Pay attention in those meetings. Again, sometimes it's easy from a leadership perspective to say, uh, you know what, we're taking care of, we're doing the meeting, we're signing the check and we're good. You know what, lean into it, understand it, grow in your understanding of what the church's insurance policies are and should be. Okay, it's never a problem until it's a problem. Again, we've got people in this room, and I know you, who have, are now dealing with a catastrophic issue with your church building, and you're either blessed by the fact that you had the right policy, right coverages, or you're, you're wishing that you could have done something different now because you've gone through an issue. So especially, here's just an insurance tip. If you have a large building, or an old building, make sure that you, ha as part of your insurance, that you have the code upgrade part of your insurance. Uh, so uh, a couple of years ago, one of our churches was, uh, had extraordinary damage from a tornado. And that code, the insurance company 
insured them up to what it would have cost to bring it to this level. But now the codes have changed and they had to bring it to this level and their insurance was down here, but their expenditures were up here. So if you have a large building or a very old building, ask your insurer about, will this bring us, cover all the code upgrades? Right, so don't, I don't wanna minimize that annual meeting. It's very important that you really let them know all, everything about your church and even new ideas and new programs right. and new kids events. They need to know everything to help uh, insure you to the right level. All right, so the other topic is background checks. We know that we need to do uh, insurance. We need to keep our insurance records forever. Do you guys know that before I move on? Even expired insurance documents, keep them permanently. Raleigh, we, the district was just in a lawsuit from an event that happened back in the 70s. 50 years ago, and we had, and we, we contacted the insurance company, and they said, no, no, they, don't They're believe, not gonna keep them for you. Don't believe you weren't our client back then. And we had a copy of our insurance declaration pages and bills that we, and we sent it to them, and they were like, oh, our mistake. Okay, we'll cover you from 50 years ago. Never throw them away. Yeah, so important for us to know about that now. Okay, background checks. Where you know that we need to do background checks on our work, volunteers and staff who work with children, I'm going to keep adding to the best practice. Also, with any people who work with vulnerable adults. Um, and now we're getting to the point where you need to do it just for everybody. But it's expensive. But the risk is there, and we're seeing it more in our churches, that now we need to maybe do background checks on everybody. The general counsel, all 600 employees, all employees and volunteers are now getting background checks. How often do you get those, Raleigh? Good question. I'm willing to go to um, every two or three years when we need to repeat them. Because you never, I'm gonna go down the fraud route. You never know if, um, you don't know if someone got arrested, let's just be honest, or someone got convicted in the last couple of years. So, Repeating the background checks is just as important as the initial one. Now, a red flag in your background checks doesn't mean they can't serve in the church. It just might mean they can't serve in certain positions. And so that's important to take a look at that and have a policy, a process in, in hand to know how to handle things that come up during the background check. Um... I don't have all of the answers on this yet, but talking with some insurance, AG Financial, um, um, we also need to keep attendance records at our campgrounds. We need to, and, um, we need to know how long our stu which students attended camps. And now, uh, I'm just kind of giving you a forewarning because it's still being developed, but it might be that we need to keep like attendance records um, seven years past the, when the student turned 21. Think about that. So if they're, if they're 13 years old when they come to church camp, uh, you know, eight years, they turn 21, seven years after that, 15, 16 years, you're keeping documents. That's what we brought Raleigh. We brought him to scare all of us. So. Yeah. 70% uh, inspiration, 30% fear and intimidation. All right, Raleigh. Well, talk to us on our last best practice on how we can safeguard our finances. Financial controls. This is where I live every day. I'm the internal auditor. I'm making sure our financial controls um, 
are in place and operating effectively. So the fifth one, fifth best practice is we need to protect our finances. Um, so financial controls, like segregating duties, that's the, that's the easiest one I can just throw out to you right now. Segregate your duties. Two eyes on every, on every financial transaction. Let me give you some ideas. One person writes the check, one person signs the check. Some of you have two people sign the check. That's over and above. That's awesome. Um, that's, a, that's a way of protecting your finances. But not the same person who wrote the check. <laughs> But not the same person. And, uh, but, I also, but I think it's easiest, though, when I just stamp. Mm -hmm. I stamp a lot of blank checks, and that's the first signature. And then I just have those ready and available. And then you can just take that check anytime and write it. Yeah. That's good. Just, uh, you know, just a big stack of them. Yeah. And whenever you need Pre -sign one. Pre-sign them. Right. You can do anything your last day as a minister. <laughs> yeah. At least two people counting the offering. Um, and, and not married, you know, un, unrelated folks counting the offering. One person takes the deposit to the bank. The other one is waiting for that bank receipt to come back and double checks it and says, that's what we counted. That's exactly what we expected to happen to receive, to go to the bank. One person submits a receipt for reimbursing. Another person approves the reimbursement. You guys get that. One, man, one person manages, the bookkeeper does all of the financial entry, another person does the bank reconciliation. Now, now, Andrew, our software does bank reconciliations as part of it. Mm -hmm. And so having two people learn the software is sometimes difficult. It's but hard I, enough getting one person to know the software. But usually what you can do then is if it's something where only one person really knows and can do the software, you can still perform a review and have oversight into that process without somebody having to be an expert in performing the bank reconciliation. That's right. And so I think in a lot of these processes, sometimes our churches are limited by the resource of people and who can perform these tasks. But we can always have oversight into the process by performing reviews and ensuring, and again, we're protecting our people when we do that. Or same thing, we're protecting ourselves when we allow someone to look over our shoulder and see one, one area that I think makes the most sense is an expenditure. So having, if, if your bookkeeper, you have someone else, bookkeeper, staff, uh, writing the checks, board members signing the checks, you as a pastor, I feel like it would be appropriate and wise to weekly or monthly review a list of the check register. What it does is the, the easiest spot for fraud, I feel like, in your church is writing checks to fake vendors. Okay? So uh, it's a simple way that you can oversee that process without having to be necessarily involved in the day-to-day -day work of it. And right? we, we hate to think that someone would be dishonest with the Lord's money. But it happens all the time, everywhere. And uh, so it's just one of those things. The, the federal government did not get Al Capone for murder. They did not get him for bootlegging. They did not get him for any of the crimes that he committed. They got him over financial controls. And listen, I, I don't want to be that, you know, that fear monger, but... The government, there is coming a day when the government will be coming after the church. And just be smart now. Right. We know that 
uh, studies show that uh, 30% of our churches have experienced fraud. And there's another study that says 5% of your revenue is lost to fraud every year, whether you know it or not. So financial controls are important. And if you want to know the strength of your financial controls, we've got a little quiz on our website, empoweringstewardship.com. Empoweringstewardship.com, there's a get started button. And there you can take a, uh, a survey, a quiz. It's 50 questions, it's pretty in depth, but you can assess the strength of your financial controls. And at the end, we can tell you uh, which areas need to get improved upon. So I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, before we kick it to Q&A, uh, just two notes. One, again, tap into resources on, in this area. So you don't have to know everything as long as you know somebody that knows it, okay? So again, look around the room, connect with others, connect with us at the district, and then obviously there are tons of resources that the general counsel puts out uh, through uh, the treasurer's office and then through Empowering Stewardship. And Raleigh, can you just take a few minutes and talk to us about what Empowering Stewardship is doing to resource pastors and churches? So we, uh, we have kind of two goals to help with your corporate finances and your personal finances. So on the corporate side, free resources to help you do all things church administration and finance related. From free articles to a couple of learning management courses uh, to, these, to this financial control assessment. On the personal finance side, um, for pastors... Pay attention. We have financial grants available to help you start a retirement fund pay down medical debt, pay down student loan debt, and just general pandemic relief. These are $1,500 grants, and all AG ministers are eligible for these $1,500 grants. So again, come to our website and take a look. Every AG minister available for a $1,500 eligible, you have to fit in the requirements, Yep. but $1,500, your tithe on that is 150, <laughs> but $1,500. And so, Raleigh, where are they going to find that information again one more time? Empoweringstewardship.com, and then there's a grants button on the menu. Um, along with that, immediate financial help, but then long-term financial training. So we have a personal finance book called Balanced Budget, Balanced Life. Mm -hmm. um, my wife married the author. <laughs> 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 and we give that book free to all pastors. It's part of the grant program. But then it's a great, you want to talk about stewardship and teaching generosity to your church. It's, very good it's a great book that helps you do that. And we've created a small group leaders guide. We've created the PowerPoint slides. Anyone could take a group through personal finance that teaches stewardship, stewardship and generosity as well. If you don't go on empoweringstewardship.com <laughs> and click that grant button, it's free money. It's free money. Hey, real, real quick before Q&A here, uh, let me give you three quick tips. Uh, we, it's in our culture right now that we're afraid to talk about giving. We make giving a... You know, a lot of our churches, we don't even take an offering anymore. We have a, a box in the back, and that's fine. But understand something. I'm never afraid to talk about giving because I believe that giving is the doorstep 
to God's blessing in your life. And if I believe that, I want people to be blessed. So here's a couple of things that will help you to ask people to give. Number one, uh, I, I think a great idea is to have your deacons publicly confirm that your pastor is tithing him or herself. To have one of the deacons get up every three months or every six months and just say, hey, you know, even as we ask you to give and to be faithful to the Lord's tithe, we want you to know that our leadership team checks our past, because our pastor is required to give to the district, we check with the district that our pastor is a tither. I think that's a wonderful, what, what's that going to say to your people? Hey, pastor is doing what he or she is asking us to do. Uh, I, I think that that's a, have giving stories. You know, the, the pastor doesn't need to be the person who's asking all the time. Have someone share a giving story. Show giving as worship and obedience and have multiple people talk about stewardship, not just the pastor, but multiple people talk about how stewardship's been a blessing in their life. So that's, real, that's three real quick tips for you. Pastor Keith. Hello. Okay, there we go. Hey, thank you so very much. This is a great conversation, tough conversation to have. I love it. Um, I tell my team all the time, I don't look good in orange jumpsuits. <laughs> Get that stuff straight, right? Um, but so you're at the board meeting or you're at your church's financial meeting scenario here and you got all this stuff laid out and you get ready to present to the church and update the church, which is something that we do. What's the visibility look like? I mean, should the church be able to see like salaries and the numbers or what does that look like? Um, There's probably a different strokes for different folks type approach here. I'll give you my opinion. Uh, so this isn't from the Lord, but from me. I feel like uh, from on a profit and loss for your people, like at an annual meeting, I would categorize. So I wouldn't necessarily give the full, detailed, every account profit and loss. Uh, I would give categories. So uh, I do think it's appropriate to have a salaries bucket that you're showing your people. This is what we're paying out for total salaries. And again, all appropriate categories to give. You want to give plenty of visibility, but I do think that there's probably some wisdom in, in not showing individual accounts. That's my perspective. I would agree. And I, I'd even be comfortable with just five or six buckets, as long as you have some good stories along with how, how that money was used to, to uh, grow God's kingdom. I am uh, one of those people that uh, I used to say uh, in our annual meeting, if you have specific questions that require specific answers, I invite you to come and sit down with myself and the church treasurer, and we will get you the information that you want. So everybody could have that information, but at that meeting, we also will have your tithe record as well.
I'm familiar with housing allowance, but I'm not familiar with the, you referenced a 941. Can you please talk about that for a minute? 941 is the quarterly reconciliation from the church to the IRS of payroll taxes that have been withheld and then paid. So it's not a personal return. It's from the church to the IRS uh, where you're reporting the, the payroll taxes that were withheld and paid. I just say real quickly, can you hear me in the back? No. no. Okay, they can hear me. Okay, here we go. Uh, if, you, if you have questions about this kind of stuff, that's why your district is here to serve you. We have a paralegal on staff. We have people who are good with account. You call us. We will, we will come help you every way that we can. Um, quick question. You were talking about the background checks. How do you handle somebody who doesn't want to do a background check or another background check? That seems like a red flag to me. <laughs> yeah, anymore. And I will tell you this. If you are a part of a district-affiliated church, if you're a part of a district-affiliated church, the district requires that all of your volunteers have a background check every three years. That's a part of our policy as an oversight of your church. It's in the district-affiliated church manual. Every three years, all of your volunteers must have a full background check. And, and I, I've got privacy concerns, and I understand that, but we have concerns for our, our children as well. Um, you mentioned that everybody that works and gets 47,500 or less needs to be paid hourly. What if they're a, member, they're a member and they're spending time in ministry as well as being an employee of the church? How do you divide the time in keeping track of that? So um, the, it's it, uh, 47.5 for non-ministerial employees. The minister who is earning ministerial pay uh, is exempt from that law. But, but don't abuse them, even though I tell you you can. So uh, if you have a, a minister who is also the janitor, um, the janitor isn't ministerial pay, so that, that's a very good question. Well, I think and if one, you'll come to next year's relaunch event, we'll have an answer no, for I'm you. Not, I'm just giving you ideas. I'm, I'm like the evangelist. I'll stir it up and leave. <laughs> well, I do, one, one thing to consider when we're talking about, because we'll all, we all deal with this often, the people that are, that are paid staff in our church also attend and serve in other areas, and how do you draw that line? So uh, I'll tell you what we do and the, and the best practice that we've received when we've asked this question of our legal counsel is that you can, be, you can volunteer for the place where you work, but your, uh, what you volunteer for has to be distinct and different from what you're paid for. Okay, so you need to have a job description that lays out what is this person's job, what are their duties, what are we paying them for. Document and then, the expectation of the job. It's a best practice. And then you can then measure that against what they're volunteering for, and that's how you can make a distinction. Uh, because we, we want to make allowance for those people to be able to serve in ministry and th that they're not, we're not 
having to pay them for that volunteerism, but we need to be clear what they're being paid for and what they're volunteering for. And the IRS allows for that. Next. Yep. Hi. Um, I was curious, what do you do with background checks for people who are not citizens? Oof. I know nothing. <laughs> I see nothing. You, you do have to have a social security number in order to complete a background check, but yep. I've, I've heard that there are some international type of background checks as well for, for other citizens or, or non-foreign for, citizens. So um, I guess you just have to keep looking on, on how to do that. Contact the General Counsel Office of Ethnic Relations, and I'm sure they'll have an answer for you. General Counsel Office of Ethnic Relations. And JJ, if you don't get an answer there, then email me and let, we'll work together because that's a question that we need to have an answer to. Yeah. Hi, in a smaller church, I, I worked for a company that was publicly traded and everything was segregation and duties, segregation and duties. How do you make that a reality in a smaller church where you have a small group of people handling things? How, how do you work that out? Yeah, um, I love that. And I'm going to give you an idea that doesn't cost any money. It just means a couple more people need to get involved, be engaged, and be passionate about what you're asking them to do. And that is a volunteer who comes alongside your, your bookkeeper, who provides that second set. Whether it's a board member, I'd, I'd love it if it was a board member, someone in leadership, um, looking at all of the checks being written or uh, reviewing the financial reports in detail. Um, but it doesn't have to cost, a, you don't have to hire a second person. You just need someone else in the, in the church. And just like we said yesterday, someone is out there, if you just ask, who has that background, that business background and experience that can come alongside you and provide those, uh, an extra level of accountability um, and segregate those duties. Two quick things on the, I think the, the income side of things is fairly easy. You know, if you're taking the offering on Sunday, you have two people count it, you seal it up for deposit, and then you have someone take it in and bring back the deposit slip, and you can match up to the bank statement. That's fairly easy. On expenses going out, uh, this is something where you can have an internal person writing the checks, and they hold them unsigned until a board member can come in and sign and review. And that just takes the planning of knowing we do this, they come in once a week, they come in on Sunday, you gotta plan ahead so you know that everything's queued up and ready for them when they come in to sign. But just with a little bit of planning, you can have that second set of eyes that comes in and it's not a huge burden on them to be the reviewer and signer. We start talking about money and everybody wakes up. We got one minute and 40 seconds. All right. <clears throat> Two quick questions. One, I've been hearing a lot of ads on the radio when I'm driving around about uh, a uh, yeah a rebate for yep. um, ERC employee. Well, it was, it was for uh, payroll tax. Yeah, employee yep. retention tax credit. Right. So I was curious if you could talk a little bit about that. And then second question, real quick, if we could, is are there any exceptions for background checks where there's something questionable? You talk to the person in the interview, and you're like, that sounds reasonable. No. A red flag is a red flag. It's, and, and you have people who 20 years ago committed um, an inappropriate action when they were 
under the influence of alcohol. And they've been saved, redeemed, and changed. Hallelujah. Thank God. Make them the worship leader. They just can't work with kids. They just can't. It's, and understand something. It's not protecting the church. It's protecting them. Let somebody make one little accusation, and then that red flag's in their history. The whole community will say, ah, guilty. They're guilty. Look, they're... No, no, no. You're protecting them as well as the church. ERTC. I'll, I'll start, and then Raleigh will correct me. So uh, it, it's fairly complex. A couple overarching things are that ministerial wages are not eligible. So if you can get a, re, a, a credit back on wages paid by your church if you're eligible. We can talk about eligibility in just a second. But note that ministerial wages cannot be rebated back. So we'd be talking about a credit back on wages that were non-ministerial, so, so non-ministerial staff. Then eligibility. The, the program runs from quarter two, 2020, to quarter three, 2021. You can still apply back retroactively for those credits. And uh, there's two ways to, to be eligible. One is your church was shut down per governmental order. According to our legal counsel in the state of Illinois, the only quarter during that program in which our churches were closed by order was quarter two, 2020. So every church would be eligible for that quarter to have a rebate back on their wages. And we'll, if you have questions on this, we can talk like nuts and bolts, like privately or later, I'll send something out. Um, so quarter two, 2020. However, if you received a PPP loan, and had it forgiven, then those wages that were paid to you for PPP can't also be used for employee retention credit. So those two things there wipe out a lot of us from eligibility. The other pathway towards eligibility is that your church experienced a drop in revenue when comparing that quarter with the corresponding quarter in 2019. So if your church had a significant revenue drop in 2020, or 2021 compared to 2019, then let's talk. We can talk and, and kind of dive into your books and see, okay, are we eligible? Because if you're eligible, it can be a significant benefit uh, for getting a credit back on those non-ministerial wages. That's good. I don't have anything to add to that. Okay, guys. Hey, we are, uh, we went over two minutes. Everybody wants to talk about money. All right. Two more questions. Okay. Um, I can see when you're talking about 5% in terms of monies, um, we have now started doing fundraising. And it involves petty cash or it involves a cash box. And do we use the same procedures that we use when we make a collection? And what do you do with, uh, I need a roll of tape, and so do we take the money out of the box and then put the receipt in the box? What are the procedures when it comes to dealing with cash and fundraisers? Uh, so I'll just, a petty cash process, no matter what you're using the, the little petty cash fund for, same process. Someone comes in and says, I need to go to the store for 10 bucks or 20 bucks. I want it to be smaller expenditures. Um, uh, they sign, I receive 20 bucks out of the petty cash fund. They go to the store, they bring back the receipt and the change. And then it's documented on that form, uh, the receipt and the change equals 20 bucks. And so that's just the general process on how you manage a petty cash fund. Um, it's usually just for small 
types incidentals. Do we have one more or not? Okay. Just real quickly, the 10 policies that you ran down that you recommend every church has, yeah. is there a place where we can get that list or can you read it off a little bit more slowly? Uh, I knew that question would come up. Uh, uh, email me at the moment. As I was creating that list of 10, I was like, I should really have all of these written down and have a template for every church to model. Would you, would you mind, if you'll send it to me, we've got the email list for everybody that registered, and we can, we can send it out as additional right. resources uh, after the fact. Good. Because it's a good list. You want to see it. All right. We done. Everybody loves talking about money. 